0: Welcome back to this episode of Knock Talk. You have Cliff B.J. and our guest, Russ Hoovendick, here with us today. Russ is the president of Client Staffing Solutions and also the author of uh, four noteworthy books, How to Get a Raise, How to Interview, How to Interview, What Employers Want to uh, Hear in Today's Competitive Job Market, and Deployment to Employment, A Guide for Military Veterans Transitioning to Civilian Employment. I think that's actually three there. I was mixed up by colons, semicolons, and... And subtitles, uh, but three books. Uh, notably for me, that third one was incredibly useful when I transitioned out of the Marine Corps uh, about five years ago now. Russ, uh, personally for me to you, thanks for that book. Uh, I found it incredibly helpful, and it certainly did uh, help organize my thoughts and get me set up for my first job moving out of uh, out of the Marine Corps, out of that whole universe, and, and into the civilian world. With that note, uh, we we do know that one of the challenges many of the the clients we work with face is uh, is going through that process of transition, whether it's through promotion, moving from uh, you know being a troop of the line to leading leading the peers that you once worked side by side with, uh, whether it's transitioning from careers or you know moving to a totally different field of some sort. And so that's why we were particularly interested in bringing Russ aboard with us as a guest. And that's uh, that's what I'll use as my opening, and then turn it over to you, Russ, and say, "Welcome. Uh, how would you like to kick off the conversation?"
1: Well, first of all, let me say that I'm very honored uh, that you would uh, even include me in your podcast. It's a it's a pleasure. Uh, the book, uh, you know, deployment to employment was really I hate the probably cl- cliches, but it certainly was is a work of love. My appreciation for for the military in general, for the the sacrifices made, that type of thing. The, uh, the book really got its origination. Uh, you know, I'm an executive recruiter, and the way it basically started and started out is that uh, I had a company that uh, was, uh, we were talking, and they said, well, you know, if you ever run across any military veterans, be sure to bring them our way. And I said, really? And they said, oh, well, yeah, we, we hire a lot of military veterans. I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I never knew what to do with them get the resume in and I just put it in the discard and away we go, because I didn't understand the terminology that they were using and didn't see the value in that. Well, you know, if you want me to find them, I'll go find them and bring them to you. And from that brought a ton of uh, veterans to various companies and had great success that way. But in that transition, what I found is that there was a real disconnect between military service and civilian workforce. As I talked with uh, veterans, it was really interesting because it didn't, you didn't have to get very far into the conversation to realize that they were really struggling. They they felt really lost. You know, what steps should I take? Where am I? What? Do, where do I fit? You know, that type of thing. And it bothered me. It actually kept me awake at night. And uh, so I said, you know, there's got to be a way to to help these guys. And when I say guys, it, it goes you know across genders, but to help them make that transition because. Just like in military service, you know, there's protocol and everything that you need to follow in terms of regiment, that type of thing. And the same is true in job search and, and that type of thing. And so basic, it's an education to what you want for an end result. And that's really kind of the premise that I use when I put the book together, is to take it from basically step one, where do you start and then how do you get there? In that process, one of the things that I discovered, and this was uh, back in in uh, 2013 when i wrote it is sitting there thinking at night one night i thought you know looking at the environment that uh, military veterans were coming out of is i do prison ministry prison ministry jewel ministry that type of thing i have for years about 30 years now without offending anybody i saw that there was a very strong similarity from an institutionalized type of environment. And what I mean by that is when a, when a person's incarcerated, they basically are in, they know what the, every day is gonna bring, they have a scheduled time for this, everything is done, done to protocol, boom, 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 boom. And then they serve their time, so to speak, uh, might be you know 10 years, might be 20 years, whatever the case may be, they, they're released into society and they say, go be successful. And I thought, well, you know what? There's a real strong similarity between that and the military community, uh, because for 20 years, some of the, the veterans, uh, you know, they've been retired, coming out in retirement. They've been in this institution called Veterans Service, and all of a sudden they're released to the outside, saying, "Okay, go be successful. Take those traits that you've learned and everything, and just apply it." And what I was hearing is, "Apply it where? Apply it how? How do I connect?" i 'm talking to employers they don 't understand the the language that i 'm using, and they were very, very, very frustrated and The other part that really ripped at my heart was the amount of suicides because of that and I talked with a, a number of of uh, people within military at higher levels as we talked about what were some of the content, you know the uh, causes uh, that would drive anybody that's been successful in the military to feel that way a lot of it was just in a, in a, a lost nature uh, out there trying to readjust into civilian sector life something they're not familiar with not having success leaving the community the camaraderie that's involved with that uh, you know the brothers in military service that type of thing and so they were dealing with uh, all the internal issues and then of course uh, that drives to other situations of drinking and, and drugs and all the other things that go along with that. So all these factors, I guess, were part of the contributing issues that I, that I addressed, I guess, when I, when I started to put this together and, uh, it truly really was a labor of love and, uh, the results that I've gotten through that has been amazing. Uh, you know,
0: that's, uh, that's a fantastic background on that. And, and, uh, thanks for sharing with us, Russ, about how, uh, how you found yourself inspired to to tackle that specific issue of service transition out into uh, into the civilian workplace? I putting on my uh, my academic hat and looking through the lens uh, that I studied under organization management and leadership. Uh, I f- I find that comparison uh, between the culture, uh, so the prison culture and the military culture. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say fascinating. And then for our reader, or, you know, listeners out there, I'm going to highlight something really quick about, uh, you know, the importance of words. And, and when we, uh, we work through our communication-based leadership framework, a big part of what we do is say, hey, we need to know, know and understand the terms we need and the terms we're using. And what you did there, Russ, was a fantastic job of, of a comparison and contrast of organizational structures, which is different for our, for our listeners, different than equating, you know, it's, it's entirely possible to look at different organizations and cultures and structures and compare and contrast and find similarities uh, without equating one to the other. And I certainly know what your intent is. Uh, and then I go out of the way sometimes to go ahead and explicitly lay out an intent that what we're not doing here is equating military service with prison time, but that it's a fascinating observation that there are those similarities in the the, uh, the organizational structure, if you will, and what a, what someone in those environments is experiencing.
1: It's interesting. I, I had a conversation here not too long ago. A Comparison was put out there at the Pentagon. One of the officers there used that comparison. He said, "I don't know where I heard this." You know, it's been compared to this. And I thought, "I know where you heard it." <laughs> you know, so <laughs> kind of interesting then, that way. You
0: know, and then as a as a, a former public affairs guy, I can imagine how that one could get could spin out of control very quickly. I don't want to don't want to keep stealing the mic. Want to hand it back, but I'm curious if you hinted there at some of the things that make that transition from military to civilian, from one sector to the other, uh, a, a challenge. And uh, and and I do want folks to know and understand while they're the transition from military to the civilian world is unique in many ways. Many of the things that you teach in your books and and you talk about uh, are applicable really universally. That. The transition from one career, from one business, from one stage of life to another, very similar in there. Uh, I'd like to hit uh, hit the issue there, Russ, of what you suggest some of the steps are uh, that uh, that a person can take to make the make the transition smoother. Uh, and certainly, we can use the transition from military to civilian as the backdrop there.
1: And I think one of the, the biggest mistakes that uh, many make is they wait until you know, and we're procrastinators. I think all of us are procrastinators in some form or fashion, some greater than others. Many times they'll wait until they're within a couple months of transition and then say, okay, now I need to get serious about transition. What I teach, uh, number one, or really is to do your homework uh, and get those things in place. Uh, start getting your mindset ready for the transition and starting to make a, basically a worksheet on what you need to do and get in place. And so far, part of that is is saying okay. So number one, when is the transition? Okay, what do I need to have in place step by step? And that meaning, uh, okay, do I have references? Number one, you know, just I mean, I'm going to take some simple things. Do so I have references? Who can I use as references? Of? I contact them, but more importantly than that is understanding from their perspective. Uh, when you when you talk to them, and I encourage veterans to do this, is if you're using a reference, and I use this in the in the normal civilian sector too is when you call them and you always should call them to make sure that they would be a reference and ask them, what is it about me that makes me stand out? Why would you give me a reference? And what that is, is taking and confirming who you are as a person, as a leader, all the different attributes about you that you can help to use in in further interviews. And so you can go back and say, and this will help you in your interviewing is to say, well, people have said this about me. And this is why they say it. And so from interviewing, I always teach uh, to take and, and take a characteristic that defines you, for instance. Take a characteristic, so they, they say that I'm extremely trustworthy or whatever the case may be, then give an example. So so many times people use uh, what, I, what I call, um, you know, just buzzwords out there. And so they say, well, I'm trustworthy, I'm honest on all these things. Give a specific example that would really uh, denote why you're trustworthy. And these are what people had to say about me in that area, whatever the case may be. And so what that does is takes on, I call them statements of credibility as opposed Mm -hmm. to buzz. It really uh, take and define the way you interview uh, that way too. So that's that's part of it. Uh, The other part is setting your expectations, I think. Uh, And I talk about this in some different areas because the transition from From military going back in and you're going to move back in with your family for instance you've been on uh, away from your family for you know uh, how many tours you know they've run that household and they've been very for many they've been very proficient at doing it and all of a sudden you come back and you say okay I'm here Uh, I'm ready to run this place and the spouse says wait a second (laughs) we've been doing really well without you Uh, not meaning from a negative standpoint but you know what they have done very well and there's a transition And the correlation between veteran and civilian is there too, because I have the same thing that happens with with salespeople, they'll be on the road, they might have spent 80% of their time traveling. And all of a sudden they say, you know what, I'm just tired of the road. I want to go home. I want to just work out of my home and come back and and so they go home and they say, okay, I'm ready to run the show now. My, and the, the spouse may say, what are you talking about? I've, you know, I paid the bills. I do all this. I, I've raised kids. I've t- taken them to the soccer. I've done all these things. And now they're saying, okay, I'm here to run the show. There's a transition that needs to play, take place. That takes time. And so to set your expectations to think that you're going to be warmly embraced as the new leader of the home, don't do that. Just allow for some time there's a lot of responsibilities that uh, that you didn't have before that you were in terms of all the the costs involved with running a household too you know if you've been living on base or whatever the case may be versus going into private sector a lot of different things like that as well
0: i'm always fascinated to draw from draw from what seems like unrelated experience and find ways that it can can apply and and certainly within the military transition experience uh, for me and and i don't want to speak for bj but uh, he's here with us, uh, and 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 we've shared some some of our experiences with that. There is often a perception that the military is distinct, unique, and different. That applies in a couple of different ways. One of them is that uh, that we are going through some sort of unique transformation or transition when we go from service to mil uh, service to civilian, uh, and the other is that what we have experienced in the military is discreetly unique, like entirely, entirely unique to the civilian experience. So uh, I am pleased to hear, uh, first off, comparisons uh, between, say, returning from deployment and being on the road consistently as a salesperson. I think that's fascinating. And that's a real world transition that universally people have to deal with. Also then, really appealing and interesting to me that getting getting back into a culture, whether it's a family, whether it's a job, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the environment is that you're moving into, and that challenge of getting, of integrating yourself into it. Notably for me, and I, I think BJ as well, translating what we did uh, into language that the civilian sector and um, uh, talent scouts or whatnot would hear and not put that resume in the bin. And when I first started out, I was uh, I was listing some of my jobs and then, you know, I went to somebody like yourself who looked at it and went, yeah, nobody's going to know what this means. And I had to translate things right. like, you know, commanding officer into member of executive leadership team or senior leadership experience and some of those things. Uh, so, uh,
1: you know, I think one of the things I don't don't mean to cut you off, but one of the oh, things do. that uh, happened, and I think I addressed it in my book, you know, <laughs> it's been a while since I wrote it, you know, I was talking to... Um, an ES-7? He said, well, I said, so tell me about what you do. What do you mean what I do? I mean, ES, or ES-7, I believe that's what, the, what it was. And he was angry with me. I said, no, no, just, just tell me what you do. I just want to know what you do. He said, well, I, I just said it all right there. It, that rank tells you everything. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, all right. So let me do a comparative for you here. So you're a plant manager in a production facility in the civilian sector. Okay. What do they do? He goes, well, how would I know? I said, okay, same (laughs) is true both ways and both sides are trying to understand one another. And so just to say and use a term and say, this is what I am. No, you have to define, you have to define your responsibilities. You have to define the leadership structure. You have, you know, the the comparatives too in civilian versus veterans is there's a lot of team concept in uh, the veteran community employers are struggling to find people that really want to be part of a team. You know, you have your millennials that are, that are very much loose cannon in the marketplace right now. And so they're looking for people that are absolutely dependable, that they want to be part of a team, that they, they want to have a common goal and a vision, that type of thing, those types of people that can buy into that. The other part that's, that's really sad sometimes is when I'm dealing with, with HR managers and that, and they'll say, well, we tried, we hired a veteran, and they didn't work out. And I'll say, okay. So we're we're really not interested in looking at veterans anymore. And I, I asked them this question. I said, you ever hired a, hired a civilian that didn't work out? Well, yeah. Well, then why would you do the same? We're talking people. Mm-hmm. We just have a different tag on, but they're, they're people that we're dealing with. And so your uh, experience is a people experience. It's not a veteran experience. It's not a civilian experience. It's a people experience. And I said, so not everybody works out, right? right? So and, and I've been able to convince people to take another look with the veterans where they were really turned off by that. Mm-hmm. And, but I, on the other side, veterans have a responsibility to employers to really take and fulfill what they pr- profess, okay? So they say they're team players. They say they're all this. Okay, then be it out there. Really important that way because, you know, fair or unfair, you know, we deal in perceptions in life. Some, some are real, some are not uh, in terms of perceptions, but whatever you're perceived as, that's what you are. And so changing the perception of employers is really important to take and come in there and do everything that's required and then some. It's important to even to look at taking positions that are beneath you, even though your pride says, you know what, I'm a lot better than that. Okay, get your foot in the door, get accustomed to the civilian employment, what it's all about, and show them what you can do, and you'll be amazed at what the results will be because employers are dying for people that want to give their all. They really are. The uh, opportunity for veterans right now is incredible. It, it is
0: that. Uh, and it's both sobering and reaffirming to hear you describing these things because it, it matches up uh, right along the way with what I experienced. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I am one of those who did the uh, the veteran bounce. I, I found my first job after the the Marine Corps well in advance of retirement, you know, made the drive across country from North Carolina to Washington State, got into my house, started my new job a week later and was rolling. And about a, within a year and a half, I was gone. I'm still in touch with uh, with the executive director of the organization who hired me. And we've talked through some of that. And And she was, uh, she was disappointed and literally at one point said, mm, yeah, I don't know, I'd take a risk on a, another retiring veteran again. And we had that same conversation where I was like, man, you know, Rachel, let me... Uh, I know I disappointed you in some ways, and, and I was going through a rough transition time there. Uh, but what I offer there is if you ever wanted to hire another one, then talk with me so that I can help you as the hiring side, maybe help and ease that transition a bit. Uh, there, there wasn't any angst and hostility in that relationship. We left on good terms. We're still in, in on good terms. But I definitely struggled with that transition. And I did not uh, smoothly integrate <laughs> into, you know, the things I promised were not the things I delivered. Much of that was a burden of my responsibility, uh, but also it was the organization I joined and and my boss, uh, which brings me to, and I always try and bring this back and then hand a mic back uh, to a, a communication-based leadership tie. And, and some of the things you've been saying here, click right in with there. Uh, one of our core truths is that leadership is about relationships, that everything we do communicates something, so we should do it on purpose. Uh, And what you just described there, I I look at so much through that CBL lens, and I'm hearing you describe the shared responsibility to build that relationship, the shared responsibility to understand uh, what the challenges and distinctions are and how to bridge those gaps and and integrate in together uh, so that ultimately an organization would be stronger by bringing in any new member from wherever they are to draw on their unique skills and experiences to put them to work.
1: I agree. Uh, Communication, as I work with manufacturers and and different companies around the the country, is they're looking for people that they can put their trust in, and their employees are looking for leaders they can put their trust in uh, as well. And so being able to develop that trust, and that's based on trial uh, as well, you earn your trust, you really do in a lot of ways. And so I think that, uh, again, veterans have a tremendous uh, opportunity because your service has been based on trust. You know, I've got your back, he's got my back type of thing. And if they'll go into uh, that environment by looking to build trust, uh, being somebody that people can put their trust into, uh, they're going to be very successful in that transition as well.
0: Oddly enough, that ties to one of the other four truths of communication based leadership, which is enduring leadership success requires trust. We teach and coach very strongly along the lines that it's important to, you know, you have to establish, build, and sustain trust. But we also highlight the point that we tend to think about trust as uh, in terms of the other person. Uh, does the other person deserve trust? Have they earned my trust? Are they trustworthy? uh, giving that trust is often a, a reflex rather than a decision. Uh, we coach and talk, uh, uh, quite frequently about the role of the trust, uh, the trust or in that relationship that we have an obligation as leaders. Uh, and in this sense, I'm, I'm talking again through the perspective that leadership is a lifestyle, that it's not just about your position and authority, but it's a, it's right. about relationships. And if you want to build trust, a big part of it is being willing to give it and to think about your own willingness to give that trust and, and make it a decision rather than a reflex, and, and to think about yourself as a giver of trust rather than think about the other person as as whether or not they are deserving of it uh, in order to come together and work on building that trust and having the trust you need uh, to uh, to succeed as a, as a team. We have uh, about five minutes left, and one of the questions that's on my mind, Russ, if, uh, if you're willing to dive into it a bit is, is about, um, misconceptions, uh, about military and veteran hires. Um, and I'm particularly interested in the employer's side of that. Uh, are, are there any particular misconceptions about veterans and the military that you have seen within veterans uh, or within, within, uh, um, uh, the, the civilian community, the employers, and what are those? And I asked this so that, uh, you know, part of this podcast can be then about the non-military folks on the, you know, the folks on the receiving end, and they can learn a little bit about, you know, how they might think differently.
1: I think one of the misconceptions that uh, a lot of employers have is that veterans have been following orders only and that uh, they are, they can only think this far because they're not taught to think beyond the box. You know, this is your order, uh, do or die, you know, Mm-hmm. not the question why it's do or die type of scenario. And that's not true. And that's a stereotype that needs to be broken out there. And I think there's, we've had success in those areas, but employers um, say, well, you know, uh, I need somebody that can think on their feet in a manufacturing operation, for instance, you know, uh, can they, can I give them that responsibility and can they think for themselves? All right. And so to dispel that, I would encourage veterans to think of those opportunities again or those situations that they've encountered where they were, where they had to think on their feet, mm-hmm. make a absolute, and many of these situations. And it's, it's, it's incredible. You take uh, individuals of a, you know, 18, 19 years of age, making life and death decisions on the spur of a moment. Uh, you know, yes, they can make those decisions. <laughs> they've been taught to make those decisions. And so employers need to understand uh, or be uh, probably educated, I guess. And that's, that's probably been the whole premise of what I've done here, is to try to educate outside uh, the military of what veterans are, what they bring, you know, that type of thing. And this is one of those situations where uh, veterans can think outside the box. Uh, they're taught to think beyond that. They're taught to follow orders, but they're also taught to use their mind. And uh part of that that i think has been really good is the team concept that they've been that they brought in because they have five star i think they, they take a lot of times they talk about five star i think but anyway uh, uh the situations they've been able to pull ideas from the floor that type of thing that's what employers are looking for coming up with new ideas okay how do we take a new idea uh, what would how do you take and capture again the trust that we're talking about get the trust of the people to be able to open up and talk to you about what they see going on take an idea that's been generated from floor, put it in action, and then come back and reward your people for that contribution to that effort as a leader and taking and opening up those lines of communication going forward. And that's what employers are looking for. That's what veterans can bring. But they have to be able to designate and show that they've been able to do that in a prior setting to for employers to really realize that. Otherwise, there's a misconception that, you know, you either, you either follow the order or you're going to get court-martialed and i mean can happen sure to an extreme situation but by and large day to day uh you're taught to think beyond just right in front of your eyes
0: <laughs> and i've uh um I've certainly had uh plenty of experiences that taught me that uh a group of 18 and 19 year old marines uh one uh, you know if you can trust them to make life or death decisions you can trust them with anything uh but two uh they are uh, by far one of the most adaptive, creative, innovative groups of people that I ever worked with. You can almost throw that "Houston, we have a problem" scenario in front of them, and here's here's a here's a cardboard box with all the stuff we found in the office, and we've got to accomplish something in 10 minutes. The perception is that someone gives them an order and says, "Do it," and the reality is, uh, in my experience as a as an officer leading Marines, more often than not, I went to him and said, "Well, this is what we need to accomplish. Help me out. <laughs> what do we do now? Uh, let me give you my intent." And then you come up with the creative solution and finding a way to communicate that to uh, a potential employer uh, and get that point across is certainly one of the challenges. Uh, two angles to, to uh, for our, our listeners to think about on that. One of them is if you're a transitioning service member, you have to dig into that communication activity and figure out how to translate what you did into what needs to be done for your potential employer. And as an employer, you also have a responsibility to learn how to ask the right questions Know interview a a veteran hire potential veteran hire with with an open mind and an understanding uh, of what they what they can bring to the table. Uh, Russ, I see we're uh, we're right around at the thirty minute mark. Uh, We uh, we follow sort of a mantra there of uh, you know start on time, have an agenda, end on time. Uh, The agenda for these is fairly free flowing, but out of respect for our listeners, we'd like to let them know hey, if you start here, you're going to end here, and and plus or minus a minute or so on thirty. Uh, So uh, I would like to close with uh, a big thank you for you joining us and for your time here today. I'd also like to offer a thank you to uh, all of our listeners for investing your time with us here at uh, North of Center and with our Knock Talk podcast. Thanks very much. And we're signing off. Great being here. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Knock Talk, please recommend us to friends and colleagues who may also find these discussions helpful. To learn more about how communication based leadership can help you navigate successfully in a world that operates at the speed of send, visit our website at www.northofcenter.com. You can also drop us a line anytime with your leadership questions or to recommend future Knock Talk topics at reachnock at northofcenter.com. That's reachnoc at northofcenter.com. Finally, we want to extend our sincere thanks to Forrest Reed, who produced this episode.